All right, all right. Good evening, Big Ugly. How's everyone doing tonight? I need, come on now. How's everyone doing tonight? There we go. All right, my name is Brandon Johnson. I'm the host and owner of Sports with BJ, a sports podcast. This show is specifically designed to bring light to local coaches, athletes, people that have come from here and gone on to do great things. Um, so I know you see a lot of UVA memorabilia. I am a fan, but I'm not normally this UVA decked out. It is a special occasion. All right, so my guest tonight is a Norfolk native. He's a UVA basketball alum, class of 1994. He was a Golden State Warrior, signed as a free agent. He's tied for 10th all-time in UVA history for the most 10-plus assist games. He is currently the Bryant and Stratton women's head coach and the Maury boys JV head and varsity assistant coach. If y'all could give me a good warm welcome for Cornell Parker. Cornell, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing this. Um, to date, you're the, the most accoladed UVA alum I've had on this show. <laughs> so for whatever that might mean to you, um, I did some research here. 81 and 48 as a, as a player at UVA, two-time ACC Player of the Week, 313 career stats. Your senior year, you were the ACC's top rebounding guard. How crazy is that? How did, so what I want to talk to you about, there's a lot of accolades there. There's a lot of stuff going on. But I want to talk to you about what was your highlight of your time at UVA. You were there from 91 to 94. What sticks out as that defines my time there? Well, I have to say uh, it's a couple of times. I, I might have been my sophomore year when won the NIT. Uh, it was just a whole week in New York and bonding with your teammates and then just going from different gyms and different venues during that time. But I have to say that was one of probably the peak of my careers there at UVA. Okay. And I'm glad you brought that NIT championship up. If I'm not mistaken, that was in 92. Yes. And I remember that game. We took the W, 81-76, in overtime against Notre Dame. Was yes, it not? It was. <laughs> and how many points did you have that game? I don't remember. <laughs> oh. We came in with 13. Okay. But if, I, if, if the stats that I use, I don't like to track ESPN. Um, but at the stats I use, you were one you were one assist away from a double double in that championship game. Okay. <laughs> so good stuff there. So you spent four years at UVA, obviously, three NCAA tournament appearances, reached the Sweet 16 in '93. That would have been your soft or your junior year. Yeah. That was also the year you averaged 11.7 points a game, which was the highest for your career. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit pre-show. You were one of my dad's favorite players, and one of the things he always said was, "You don't have to worry about Parker." You never have to worry about Parker. He knows where he's supposed to be. He knows what he's supposed to do. He contributes. He leads. And everyone follows. Is that something that you see in yourself? Is that something that you took on as a mantra to be a leader, to be, look, I might not be, the, to be able to score the most points, but I'll make sure I facilitate the right way? Just kind of describe your game to me. Well, I just wanted to fit in and uh, be a big part of the team. Everyone can average 20 points, 18 points. So to me, I had to figure out what's my role. And I think that started uh, a while ago when I was a younger kid and uh, I was playing AAU basketball. And we had players like Brian Stiff, uh, Lonzo Mourning, Terry Kirby. It was a really, really talented team. And uh, so I had to figure out where did I fit in? So I told him, hey, I'll play the point guard. He's like, you play the point guard? I was like, yeah. 
<laughs> he said, you're six, seven. You can't be the point guard. I said, I can do it. I can guard every guard out here, and I'll make every decision that you want me to make the right way. And that kind of started my thinking, like, you just have to figure out where you fit in on the team and do the best you can and whatever you have to do. Okay. Now, you mentioned a lot of players from this area. You mentioned Morning. You mentioned Kirby. You mentioned Bryant Stiff. I'm going to run through some of the teammates of notoriety of yours. Bryant Stiff, you played with, ended up in the NBA. John Crotty ended up in the NBA. Junior Burrow. Jason Williford, Coach Willie, who coaches <laughs> now. You were a teammate of his. Yes. Uh, Corey Alexander, NBA. Harold Dean, great career at UVA. Jamal Robinson, mm-hmm. NBA. So you actually missed Curtis by one year. Now, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, was he there and redshirted, or did y'all just miss each other? We just missed each other. He, was, he came in as a, as a recruit when I left. So okay. Yes, we just missed each other. So of those teammates I listed, and of course there's 12 men on the roster, you've had more teammates than just those. But overall with your time at UVA, who was the teammate that stuck out to you the most coming from UVA? I would have to say Corey Alexander. Uh, my teammates might also wonder, why you say Corey? He was just a different guy, and he knew he knew what he wanted when he came into UVA like uh, – just remember one class, it was philosophy class, and he told the professor, hey, I'm going to be playing in the NBA. It's not like, you know, but he said it, but he also meant it, and he worked and put every inch and time into being the best basketball player he could be at UVA to get to the next level. And I just I admire his confidence and his ability and what he wanted to do. And I think that that's fun that you say that because as someone who didn't know Corey Alexander personally, hearing you describe him and knowing him personally, I see that in his broadcasting style. I see just a very humble but confident individual who knows where he's supposed to be and just well-spoken. He's not going to catch him off guard. Very calm. And uh, that's awesome to know that that translated to the basketball court. So we can't talk about great teammates without talking about great coaches. And you played for one of them. You, you played for Jeff Jones, who, in my opinion, listen, I love Tony Bennett. I think he's doing great things. But Jeff Jones had a similar career at UVA. He had a lot of winning seasons. It was almost a guarantee with Jeff Jones for a UVA fan. We're looking at 19, 20-plus wins. We're looking at the NCAA tournament. We're going to be relevant. And back then, in the early 90s, in the ACC, that was hard. That was hard because Duke and UNC up here, and it was everybody else. But he made a name for UVA. So give me some fond memories of Coach Jones and just kind of sum him up as a coach and as a person. As a coach, I mean, he's just – he expects the best from you and he gets the best out of you. Uh, And he's hard-nosed. So his teams were hard-nosed teams. I think we carried his image when we played. You know, it was like you said, you had Carolina, you had Duke here. So those are the teams you were trying to beat, you know, and he – he had you ready for those games, mentally and physically. So I just think he's an awesome coach. And then as a person, he's unbelievable. Okay. Uh, he's, he's done a lot for me as a player. Uh, no one knows when, when I left UVA, I didn't finish uh, getting my degree. I left and just started working out, preparing myself professionally. Uh, actually, I went back. He paid for me to go back to school to get my degree. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm really thankful for that. Okay. So you spent four, time on, four years on grounds. It's grounds, not campus. <laughs> four years on grounds. And I got to ask the question, Bodo's Bagels, yay or nay? <laughs> yay. Yes, sir. <laughs> What's the go-to order at Bogo's? I don't know what my go-to order is, uh, but I, I love it. Yeah, yeah okay. I love it. Yeah. So outside of Bodo's and outside of the free food at the, at the <laughs> student center, what was your favorite place on grounds to eat? 
it was a chicken spot down, uh, down from the football stadium. Okay. Uh, we used to go there a lot, um, and then the tavern. Okay. Yeah. So you are one of the, I think if my math is correct, you were the second to last full class to play at U-Haul. Mm. U-Haul was recently demolished, uh, all kinds of asbestos, and it was just time for the building to go make way for a better facility for the athletics program. I'm sure you're familiar with the master plan they've got going on. Yes. What, what for people who never saw a game in U-Haul, and I'm assuming you've been to JPJ. Oh, yes. <laughs> which environment is better? And give me your fondest memory from playing at U-Haul. Environment, I would have to say U-Haul just because of the closeness. It's, it's almost like, uh, hey, this is the best place I ever played in will always be, would be Cameron. And I just like Cameron because the fans are right there on you. Right. It's a perfect set, and that's how U-Haul was. And that the new gym now is awesome, don't get me wrong, but you're away from the team, and, you know, it's a little different when you write up on people. Sure. <clears throat> but it's, it was a great atmosphere. And yeah. if I can pick your brain for one thing, a lot of people I've talked to that have had the opportunity to play in Cameron have said they love playing at Cameron, but they say it, they love it because it reminds them of playing at high school. <laughs> is that accurate? I've been to Cameron. That it is, can't hold it. They say it holds like 12. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It's like six. That is true. It is like, a high, it's like Hoosiers. That's what it reminds me. It's like a Hoosiers gym. It's like a high school gym, but the atmosphere is amazing. Actually, I took my wife on a date. I took her there to go to a Duke and UVA game. Okay. Uh, that was the last time I've been back, and she was, she was amazed herself. So I'm assuming you got to play at Cameron twice in your career. Did a Cameron crazy ever touch you inbound on the ball? Uh, no, but they did get me my freshman year with the countdown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they got you a little yes, bit. Yes, they did. Uh, so <laughs> that was one of my main goals was to beat them in Cameron. And my junior year, we did. Uh, we made that happen. That was a special moment there, too. Okay. So before we transition away from UVA talk, I want to get your opinion. We've already talked about it a little bit, but our UVA who's, they're having an up-and-down kind of season. Um, just came off of a three-game skid. The Florida State game, the Duke game, understandable. NC State was a head-scratcher, but we got back on track with Miami. Um, what do you see in our squad this year, and what would you say would be a good, realistic expectation for what they can achieve come March? Come March, I, I think they can do – they can make it to the Final Four or more. Uh, just depends on what team shows up, sure. and, and that's a big part. And are we making buckets? And we're making stops. A lot of losses that I think we had, we were just out of sync defensively too, not just offensively. But a uh, few losses this season, we lost the game because of defense because we couldn't stop people. Sure. Yeah. So. And that that pack line defense, there's been a lot of adjustments that they've had to make, and I think the fans forget a little bit that we've got three players that have not spent any real game play in the pack line system. Uh, you got Sam Hauser. Mm. You can try to simulate it as much as you want in practice, but until you're going up against an opponent, mm. it's not the same. Mm. You got Trey Murphy, same situation. Hasn't been there, hasn't understood the process. And then you've got people like um, Jabri Parker, Jabri Abdul-Parker, great mm. recruit, but Tony Bennett's obviously going to favor defensive proclivity above everything else. Oh, yeah. So as a player who understands intricate systems, just give, me a, just give me a little bit of an understanding of how hard it is to play and understand a pack line defense, just from what you visualize and see. It's more to me is, is really buying in to want to be that defensive person, make stops. I mean, I remember a 
few years ago as a young man from here. I won't mention his name, <laughs> but uh, he struggled. He was a great high school player here, and he struggled his freshman year, and he was lost from what my friends were telling me, and uh, he just couldn't get it. I thought he was going to wind up transferring, but he wound up sticking it out and had a great UVA career. Uh, he actually went on and playing the NBA. He's in the NBA now, but, uh, but it, it's something to me that you just have to buy in. I think when coming out of high school, sometimes kids fight certain things they already know and learning something different. Okay. And uh, we, like you said, we won't drop any names, but I know who you're talking about. And, uh, yeah, they ended up having a great career, and they're in the NBA doing well right now. So let's transfer a little bit to Maury. You're the JV head. You're the head coach of JV. You're the assistant on varsity, and your wife actually coaches the varsity girls. So it's kind of a family affair over there. What's it like? What's it like watching your wife coach the same place you did? She played collegiate ball. She's a very good athlete. Um, I've heard great things about her. But what's it like coaching at the same school your wife coaches? Well, actually, now I don't coach anymore there. Uh, I'm just a academic coach. I'm a school counselor there, so I'm the academics. I'm in charge of most of the athletes. Uh, but I get to go to practice and watching because I coach the college team now. But watching her, and I've watched her since she started, the first time she started coaching at Moore, uh, It's I love her passion for the game and how she wants to help the kids, not just for basketball, but outside of basketball as well. Okay. And I want to circle back around to a statement you made about not finishing your degree at UVA. But you are now at this point – very well documented as with your education. I know you went back and got your bachelor's in psychology. And if I'm not mistaken, Cambridge and Massachusetts, you went and got your master's in counseling. Mm -hmm. What led you choose those paths? And how does a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in counseling help you grow the game of basketball and coach your players better? Well, the psychology part is definitely a plus. <laughs> Got to have that <laughs> mental game. I remember when I was at UVA, we actually had a sports psychologist come in. And we had one at campus, and that was something I wanted to do. It was intriguing what he did with us and how he talked about sports and used it to, to just make you better all around. Uh, so that kind of intrigued me at UVA, and that's why I did psychology. And then to go back and get my master's uh, at the high school was a principal at the high school. He saw something to me that I didn't see, and he was, thought I would be a good high school counselor. And so that made me go back uh, to get my master's. Now, would you say that you have a passion for young people in general, or is it just human society as a whole? I would say human society as a whole, but more so young people, because uh, I just I want to give back to what I've learned and to help them to grow, to be better. You know, I think of a person that's close to my life, and a lot of people that know me know is like Cam Chancellor. Uh, watching him grow up to be who he is today. Uh, but I can tell you more stories that Nat Cam Chancellor that are a very successful young man sure. from Maury uh, that I really enjoy watching them grow. Okay. Now, what was, as far as the rigors of the curriculum, would you say it was harder to get your bachelor's from UVA or your master's from Cambridge? <laughs> UVA degree. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get to your master's, it's more writing than anything. Uh, and more reading, but yeah, definitely my UVA degree because I kind of pause here, there, but the Masters, I was just all in. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you got drafted as a free agent by the Golden State Warriors. Um, at that time, I believe there was a gentleman there by the name of Jason Richardson. You had the opportunity to play with him? Yes. Now, what was his skill set? Because I've heard whenever I'm looking at NBA rankings or greatest players of this decade, greatest 100, people always talk about Jason Richardson 
and his freak athleticism. Is that real or is it overhyped? It's real. It's real. He was very, very athletic. But the one person that stood out to me at Golden State well, it was two people, really. Chris Mullen was the one who mm. kind of took me on his wings. He was just a true role model, just a great person. He was also huge. Yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Sprewell. Sprewell was unbelie- unbelievable. Like, he would just come and do whatever he wanted to do. I mean, he, he, had, he was a different type. And I played against him in college. Funny thing, we played Alabama. Right. Uh, in Alabama. And uh, he went to work on UVA that game. Yes, he did. We didn't think he was a scorer from our scouting report, but <laughs> little did we know he scored 40-some points. On right. Us. And, you know, a lot of people forget that Latrell Sprewell played for Golden State. They just remember the Knicks days when he yes. actually became in the top tier of the NBA talent. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit that you had to have seen that while you were there. It, it ha- it's not something that a switch just gets turned on. No. So was he always that productive, always that assassin-like? To me, he's kind of like Westbrook before we got at Westbrook. Yeah. Hey, would you say that's a fair comparison? That is a fair comparison. He was like that. I mean, he could just come in and, and get any shot he wanted to, how he wanted to do it. And you look at him like he's not a big body frame guy, but he was just athletic and had all the confidence in the world. Okay. Yeah. And then you ended your career in the Turkish League playing overseas. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, totally different once you go abroad. I actually went to Japan after, after Turkey. Uh, but it's totally, totally different. It makes you appreciate home more than okay. you can imagine. So as far, I know that they're at the time – the NBA Europe has some rules that are different than the NBA. Did you find any of them hard to adjust to? Yeah, some of them because some of them, it would be traveling here, but there is not traveling. Right. So you had to adjust to different moves. You could do different things with the ball. Uh, it, it, was, it was a great learning experience, I would say. And I'm thinking in my head, one of those things would probably be the Euro step. That's been over there for a long time. Yes. It's popular yes, the last 10 years here, but they've been doing that forever. Yes, definitely. And it looks like a travel, but it's absolutely <laughs> not. So before we get out of this segment and take a quick little break, I want to come at you with a little bit of hot seat question. All right. I want you to pick your all-time college basketball team starting five, but it has to be people you played against. It can't be anyone from UVA. Who you got? You got you got to pick five. You're on the team. You're running. You're running point, but you got to pick two through five, and they can only be who you played against. <laughs> I would definitely take Grant Hill. Uh, he's always been one of my favorite players and someone I knew growing up. Yeah. <laughs> you taking Leitner? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I would take the Wizard. Walk the Wizard from Maryland. Okay. Uh, I love this game. I love the tall guards, and he played the one to the four. Uh, and Grant is very similar to. Uh, hmm. Eric Montrose. Eric Montrose. Eric Montrose. Carolina. Um, Randolph Childers. Randolph Childers. He's going to um, sure up your inside? Yes. Okay. And I would take Rodney Rogers. Right. Okay. And who's your sixth man off the bench? Sixth man off the bench? I'll come off the bench as a sixth man. I'll put another starter in there. Uh, let me go with um, Rogers. Clemson, NC State. Uh, Don't pick anybody from NC State. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough one. Who would be 
Maybe a guy named Evers Burns played in Maryland. Okay. Low key six six guy, but could could score buckets. And that would be your that would be your six. Yes. So you got you, Grant Hill, the Wizard, mm-hmm. Randolph Childers, mm-hmm. and who were the other two? Other two is uh, what was it? Evans Evans Burns. Evans Burns played at Maryland, and Randolph Childers, Grant Hill. Okay. Grand Hill. All right. Can't get better than that. All right, so we're going to keep it here. We've only been going, I feel like we've been talking for a lifetime. It's only been 20 minutes. I'm having so much fun doing this. All right, so now you're at Bryant and Stratton. You're entering your seventh year. All right, and are, are y'all are playing now? We are. We just, we're in a pause, but we're going back to playing uh, this weekend. We'll travel, get back to playing again. Okay, so entering your seventh season, you've amassed 113 and 53 record. In three out of the seven years you've been there, and I know they're more recent, you've been ranked top 20 in your, your division. Mm-hmm. You were voted the 2018-19 NJCAA Region X Coach of the Year, and in that same year, you won Bryant and Stratton's first ever conference championship. Mm-hmm. Took them to the tournament, won that. Talk to me about that season, that 2018-19 season, where you got recognized for the coaching job you did, but also as a fellow coach, what that meant to those girls. Uh, well, it was a, a great season. I mean, it was a difficult season. We had a couple of freshmen that we blended in with a couple of sophomores. Uh, and we lost our starting all-conference point guard probably a month left within the season. Hmm. So to pull it off and to still win and get to the conference championship, I was very proud of that team. Uh, it'll go back to be one of my favorite teams uh, just because of the, all the diversity we had to go through during that season. Um, but it, it was a great season to be named Coach of the Year. That was, that was very, I mean, humble experience. Now, that adversity you're referring to, is that the, is that the guard going out, or were there other things you all had to overcome? The guard going out, we, uh, we lost a couple other players that season, too. That was the first time we lost any player for academic reasons first semester, and we lost two good other key players. And to, to be down to seven players and to still be able to fight your way through to win the whole thing and get to the conference championship, I was very, very proud of that team. Okay. So it's, it's obvious that you have a passion for the game. You don't, you don't play Division One basketball if you don't have a passion. You don't go on to the NBA and play overseas if you don't have passion. And you certainly don't come back and coach if you don't have passion for the game. So we know that that's there. But I want to talk to you about your passion for developing character and players because that's really what, what you're doing. That's what a coach does. Mm-hmm. We always talk about it at the college level and at the high school level. It's student-athlete. It, that's got to be the student first and the athlete will come. But now we're dealing with college players. And, yeah, there's student-athletes there, but you're also preparing these girls to go off into the world and be contributing successful members of society. So how important do you take that? And is there any one person that you've coached that sticks out in your mind as someone who, yes, they have gone on and done great things? Uh, I mean, you hit, it, you hit it right on the nose. I mean, it's more than just basketball, athletics. It's about helping someone grow and to be the person that you want them, to, that you expect them to be and they should be. Um, and I would have to say, I mean, it's been a, seven years or six years counting. Um, it's been a lot of players, but I would definitely have to say my first group of players when I first started Brian and Stratton, those young ladies, I, wa- I watched them from when we first started and what they're doing now, you know, it's, it's awesome. So that's one of my, that's probably my favorite group just because they helped start the program 
got us ranked the first time, uh, uh, won so many games from the first two years we had those young ladies. So I would say that group of young ladies, have I've seen them grow into women now. And I know you and I have shared some conversation about community involvement. Obviously, with COVID-19, that hasn't been as available as in years past. But what type of stuff do you like for your ladies and you yourself to get involved in to help give back to the community and help grow the community? Definitely we try to give back to the high school, especially in Moore, because we usually, we mostly play at Moore and uh, practice there. So we definitely help out at Moore with the kids there and summertime coming to camps helping with camps, just volunteering your time uh, and, and just being a role model for the younger people. So okay. that's definitely something we always do at Brian and Scratton. Okay. And, that's, I mean, that, that's huge because that teaches more than just, you know, you can learn teamwork, you can learn all the, all the tangibles you need in the game of basketball, you know, we before me and all that stuff. But giving back and being, I think that that teaches a humility that you can't learn any other way. Mm -hmm. to, to put yourself above a greater cause that you're really not involved in. Mm -hmm. I think that that's huge, and I'm glad that you do that with your ladies. Uh, I wanted to talk to you. I had a coach on here a couple weeks ago. His name was David Cochran. He's got his own academy down there in Virginia Beach. He's an AAU coach. He played uh, D3 basketball. And he made a comment that zone defense is killing youth basketball, and it's killing basketball as a whole. And I wanted to get your opinion because I can see when he explained it, he said that it was taking the tangible of guarding a man away and they're not developing the skills they need because when you get up to the next level, if it's not a Syracuse or a Louisville or maybe even a little bit of a Notre Dame, you're not going to see much zone. You've got to be able to man up. And he said that he felt that zone defense was setting players up to fail. Where do you come in on that? And it's not an attack on him. It's just nice to get another coach's perspective. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that zone defense sets players back, or do you feel like there's some tangible qualities there that can help them succeed? I don't think zone defense sets you back. I mean, that's just – when you first start, that's what you work on a zone. And to be honest, to play man-to-man, -man, you have to put in a lot of time. And if you look at a Rex – and I, <laughs> funny thing, when I coached JV, I used to be always <laughs> – get on the kids about me and my assistant coaches say, uh, you playing rec basketball. You, but I had to sit back and think about it. Why the kids are not progressing and learning man to man is because I see how much time we put in at the high school level teaching man to man and they still have to, and we'll do five days a week, six days a week. Rec team, you may practice once a week, twice a week, so they don't get the quality time. And you're not able to put in that man to man like you want to. I still coach at the middle school. Uh, this will be my last season because my son doesn't play anymore, but we play zone because I know we don't have time to put a true man-to-man -man in, and every team that plays us man-to-man, -man, we spread out and go one-on-one, -on -one. and no one never can stop us because there's no help defense at that age because you don't have the time to teach them that. And I already figured it, and I know that you don't have the time, so unless you have this team and you keep them year-round, and that's the only way to do it. So the zone is, to me, is a, it's just a concept to kind of teach you how to play a little bit of defense. Then as you get advanced, you move up to your man-to-man. -man. We move up to a pack line defense. Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't think the zone is hurting us. The big thing that's hurting us, as I see as a coach, is just kids knowing the game. You know, knowing the game and skill level. But more part is knowing the game. And I think that's really be technology today has taken that away because kids don't go outside and play a lot. They don't watch the game as much. They're on their phones or playing video games, you know. Uh, I think that's hurt the game a lot. 
by just sitting down and watching the game and saying, hey, that's our group. I want to be like that. I want to be like him. I want to do this and that, you know. There's not a lot of kids doing that nowadays. It's very, very rare. I think the one person I think, I'm sure there's a couple other kids, but this kid that plays out in Suffolk, the best player in this area, he has that old soul to me. I know he sits and watches the game, and he wants it. You can tell that how he plays. Um, but we don't have a lot of those kids now. I think a lot of kids just love this, the, the image basketball, other sports mm-hmm. football, too, that brings you in. But do you really put in that time to, hey, I want to be really, really good? And I don't see that from a lot of kids in a lot of sports. It's not just basketball. And I, I think that's the big part, knowing the game. If you can give me a coach that teaches the game and his kids, oh, I'm going to be okay when you come to me. Yeah, and as a as a coach at the JV and varsity level, I, I get what you're saying a lot because a lot of these kids, and I'm I, keep in mind I'm from small private, so we don't really have tryouts, we don't really have cuts. Everyone that wants to play makes it. And what I think you're saying is what I see: a lot of kids want to play because of the culture. Yes. The culture that mm-hmm. basketball has, the mm-hmm. fashion, the yes. music, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yes. And that's a perfect segue into what my next question was for you. Social media has made society so instant, so validatingly instant. And you see a lot of kids where they feel like if it's not being videotaped, it's not worth anything. You don't see students of the game anymore. You see people looking at the amount of likes they have versus watching players who are succeeding and learning how to take notes and do those things. So how do you balance, especially at the college level where it gets bigger? Because you get to the college level – now it's about the amount of followers you have. You know, how many, how many followers saw that video? How many likes do you have? You got any brands that are trying to ambass you? All that stuff. Yeah. As a coach, how do you deal with that instant gratification, social media world that we're living in, and instill character into your players that, look, it's not that. That ain't it. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge each day and every season, I think, because – the social media and the phone thing, that dominates the majority of their life. So you have that small window to try to change that. And it's, it's, it's a fight. And, you know, I get on them a lot about that gratification. You know, do you really love the game? Or do you just like the game? Right. You know, so I want people to love the game. And it's hard to find a whole bunch of love the game type of players. And even my seven years at Brian Stratton, I'm probably I can name maybe four people in my hand that I can say – love the game and they will always want to watch the game and want to but a lot of the rest of them to me they really just like the game you know and uh it, it's hard and then i think this day and age is it's not going to get easier right yeah. yeah yeah and it's definitely something we have to juggle and i can't imagine doing it at the college level so hats <laughs> off to you let's switch a little bit to recruiting um i've got a lot of players of mine that i really wanted to listen to this and to be here because i feel like what they think coaches and recruiters want to see and what coaches and recruiters really want to see two different things i always tell my kids if you're going to watch basketball i love that watch everything but the basketball because that's exactly what a coach and a recruiter is going to look at if you're worthy of a d1 scholarship a d2 scholarship, even a d3 partial scholarship you can put the ball in the hole Everyone can put the ball in the hole. It's what you do when the ball's not in your hands that gets you recruited. So talk to me a little bit about just Cornell Parker, Brian Stratton. You're looking to add a couple pieces. What do you look for in a recruit? What are things that stick out to you that make you say, you know what, I can take the positive 
and leave the negative because I can work with that. What do you look for? First and more important is your character, what type of person you are. And uh, that's why I ask every high school coach when I'm looking at somebody from their school, uh, just what type of person that your athlete is. Uh, the academically, of course, JUCOs, you may get some kids academically are not as strong, but you also want to look back at the academics. How are they in school? Uh, but just your character is a big, big part of, to me, you know, because that's going to show a lot. Okay. Yeah. And you made a comment earlier that, you know, people can score, but it's hard to teach defense. So is that something that you carry over into your recruiting process as well? Would you rather – would you rather have to work on a player's offense or a player's defense? I would rather work on your offense. <laughs> five, five or six tough defense people, I feel we can create some offense with trapping and pressing, uh, but defense is definitely – I would rather you come in a really good defensive player. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to get you out of here with two questions. One, we're going to go back to UVA. All right. And the second one – I'm not going to tell you yet because I like the element of surprise. So you've played at UVA for four years. You've been around a lot of great athletes. Who would you say are your top three UVA basketball players of all time? <laughs> top three UVA basketball players of all time. And, of course, we're not going to go – we're going to go – we're going to go your career and beyond. We're not going to go past because we didn't watch those players. So let's go 91 – to now, top three. Brian Stiff, definitely. Oh, man. Uh, I might have to take two people from when I played. Uh, I'll probably say Corey Alexander. Uh, I just, and if you look at his career, he got hurt. His junior year came back and still had a chance to go to the NBA after coming back off of injury three years. And just his work after I watched him, how hard he worked. The third one, ah, we had some really, really good players, especially the team that won the national championship. I mean, that, mm -hmm. I can't take one player. If I, out of that group, it will be three players that, to me, I mean, the two guards and DeAndre Hunter, they all, to me, together, I would have to say it would be my third. They're a unit. Yeah, they're a yeah. unit. I have to just say those, those three guys together because, I mean, that was a special group. Okay. Yeah. So let's play a little bit of rapid fire here. I'm going to throw you two players, and this is, this is to go opposite of you. You're running the point. Mm -hmm. you got to pick a two-guard, all right? I'm going to throw some names at you, one or the other. All right. All right. Kyle Guy or Ty Jerome? Guy. <laughs> Kyle Guy or Malcolm Brogdon? Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon or London Parentes? Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to stop talking about Malcolm Brogdon then. Kyle Guy or London Parentes? Guy. All right. Akil Mitchell or Darion Atkins? I'll take Mitchell. Take Mitchell? Mm -hmm. yep. Mitchell or Anthony Gill? Mitchell. Still Mitchell? Mm -hmm. Okay. Best post player you played with? Best post player I played with? At UVA, I would say Ted Jeffers. Terry Jeffers? Ted, Ted Jeffers. Best three-point shooter you played with at UVA? Uh, Corey Alexander. Best assist man? Cornell Parker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Corey could pass the bar very, very well. <laughs> okay. All right. And there was one more I had for you. 
I don't know. I was going to say Jeff Jones or Tony Bennett, but that's unfair because they're both so good. <laughs> they're both so good at what yes, they do. Oh, yeah. They're both too they're good. They're both guys. good. Okay. If you could have played any other sport, what would you have played? And, and I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. If you could have played any other sport and achieved the same success that you did in basketball, would it still be basketball or would there be another sport you would have played? I would have played football. Football? What yeah. position? Uh, receiver. Wide receiver? Yep. Slot? Yeah, not the slot. No. You want to be the Megatron on the outside? <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, Cornell, this has been an absolute treat. I appreciate all the time you've given to me, man. I hope to do this again for you. If y'all could, one more time, give it up for Cornell Parker. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.